This is P.S. You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. I'm Shelby. And I am Matt. And we are back for episode two, which is so exciting. (laughs) We did it. We made it. We're ready for that sophomore (laughs) slump. You thought episode one was great. Well, prepare to be disappointed by the second episode. I know. We should have maybe like timed it better. I thought Ant-Man would be more like a great, like a social conversation that'd be happening, but it's been pretty quiet, I'd say. So nobody cares about this maybe movie. Maybe we made a wrong call. I know. I, <laughs> At least of all you. Yeah, I only <laughs> barely care about this movie. <laughs> I know. But before we get into that, I mean, we have some things we have to take care of, some news worth mentioning. Yeah. Well, and just like some podcast things about our podcast in general. Uh, Yeah. Social media platforms that you can follow us on. Oh, yeah. We're going to be everywhere, man. We're going to be on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're maybe going to get a Facebook. I haven't decided because I read an article today that said kids don't think Facebook's cool anymore. And it really rattled me. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not cool. I don't know. We could try to go for that senior citizen demographic and get that Facebook page. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So we'll get a Facebook for whoever might want it. And um, what else? Oh, we have an email. P.S. You're wrong at gmail.com. I didn't even know we had an, an email. I know. I know. I went rogue and I got one. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> so people can send us like questions or feedback or whatever. Yeah, whatever they want. Fan mail, hate mail, I'll take it. Yeah, maybe if we get enough, we'll have like a feedback show or something or like a mailbag oh, yeah. segment. Dream big, Matt. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's stuff. <laughs> maybe my mom will send us a lot of different emails and I can pretend yeah. that they're all different people. And exactly. Great. Um, yeah that's what we have to do and speaking of my mom uh another one of my family members my brother john made the sick intro music that we have so yes praise be yes that was something neither of us was equipped to create i wouldn't even know where to start so yeah we're barely equipped to make this podcast so (laughs) we're lucky we also did not have to come up with some kind of musical did you did you (laughs) like uh play a musical instrument at one point I played the violin for one year. Oh. Mm, I know. So it's very artsy. fancy. I <laughs> couldn't afford to keep up the hobby. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I played piano for a long time, but I, I, I have... not I have a horrible memory for music or maybe just in general. And so whenever I tell people like, oh, yeah, I played piano for like eight years, then they're like, play us something. And I'm like, I literally have nothing. Like, I cannot yeah. come up with a row, row, row your boat. Yeah, like, like, Mary Hill, the lamp. Buns. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't have any musical talent except karaoke. I can do a really, really good Alanis Morissette impression. So... That is true. I've seen that. I've seen it in action. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I'm sorry for all the times our office dragged us to karaoke because of me. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. It was the first time I had ever done karaoke in like a karaoke specific room. And you and I just basically stole the microphones and performed for the whole three hours because we were the only people who knew (laughs) current pop songs. I know. That's that's the best time. You know, it's just when two people entertain the whole room and <laughs> yes. it makes us yeah. feel like rock stars and like we finally have an 
an audience that's into it. So and they left one by one, slowly (laughs) trickling out of the room as we continued to uh, struggle our way through Justin Bieber songs. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of Justin Bieber, can I just start us off with um, um, tell me something I don't know? I I needed to get this off my chest because I don't know what's in the water, but Justin Bieber just announced he's engaged to Haley Baldwin. And I don't know if you're aware of this wild family tree that's going on in this <laughs> dramatic relationship. So I'm going to educate you okay. because I think people need to know because it's not just that Justin Bieber's engaged and like ready to be an example to his younger siblings or whatever. Like, and he did it on the seventh day of the seventh month. And like, mm. it's a lucky number. Go Google it. Um, but Haley Baldwin is someone he's been on again, off again. And that might be a familiar trope because he's also been on again, off again with Selena Gomez. And this is where it gets tricky because Haley is best friends with Bella Hadid, who's a supermodel who used to date The Weeknd. But The Weeknd left Bella for Selena after she and Justin broke up. So the Selena and The Weeknd became a thing and The Weeknd like wrote a bunch of songs about Selena and one of them was like basically telling Bieber like what he lost and then Bieber got Selena back and they like hooked up again and Haley and Bieber broke up and The Weeknd went back to Bella <laughs> and now Haley, I mean What's her name? Yeah, Haley is back with Bieber and they're engaged to be married. And this all happened in the space of like a year and a half. That is the most convoluted story I've ever heard. I know. I felt like I had a handle on it. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, actually, I have no handle on this whatsoever. No, it's just the the point is that these are crazy, <laughs> crazy kids. Crazy times. It's like the friends. It's like friends in real life, except everyone hates each other instead of likes each other, but they're all dating each other. Like they just don't date outside this tiny little circle is the main point. Okay. And and I have a, I don't know, tangential question to this. Yes. I was out of New York this weekend and I was riding in a car listening to the radio, which I don't normally do. And so a Selena Gomez song came on. Yes. And it seemed like it was uh, like I was like, oh, this must be about Justin Bieber because it was kind oh, yeah, of about how sure. she was like ready to like take somebody back or she wished that the person she was with was somebody else. Is that not about mm-hmm. Justin Bieber then? Mm-hmm. Or it mm-hmm. is? No, I think it is. Um, I mean, so she wrote it. I think it's um, I think it's the song from 13 Reasons Why. Oh, but she wrote it. And I think it is about the Bieber relationship. But if you watch the music video, which was actually pretty interesting and cute, I think it was it was about Bieber, but it was more about how toxic it was and how she's sort of mad at herself for always wanting to go back to the beginning and like go through it again and will always go back to him. So I think it was like a closing chapter on their <laughs> will they won't they relationship. Mm. Very intriguing. Or maybe she's really confused. Maybe she's very heartbroken right now. But honestly, she shouldn't be because I don't like Justin Bieber and she can do better. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. Okay, I have, a, I have a different hot take, which I don't know if this 
technically qualifies for the tell me something I don't know category. But I want to talk about the trailer for Bradley Cooper's movie, The Star is Born. Have you seen this trailer? Yeah. Isn't it a remake? Yes. This is, I think, the fourth remake of this movie, but I didn't realize that. (laughs) I saw the trailer and I was like, what is this? It looks so (laughs) ridiculous. I was sitting there in the movie theater just like chuckling to myself that Bradley Cooper is playing a country music star who somehow or another runs into Lady Gaga. Well, she's not. Yeah. Yeah. She's not Lady Gaga in the movie. (laughs) Right. Yes. But... (laughs) Lady Gaga is the actress. Yes. And Lady Gaga is, of course, you know, like a struggling country musician. But the the part that, like, I was really just annoyed by is this part in the trailer where Lady Gaga is like, oh, people, people don't like me because I'm ugly. And it's like... <laughs> What? We're, we have a whole movie structured around the fact that Lady Gaga's a really good singer, but she's actually really ugly, so nobody wants her to be a pop star. And I was just like, Lady Gaga is not ugly. But that was a criticism she was met with IRL. Like, she said that in interviews, that she had to create this persona so people would look past this idea. She didn't fit the mold of, like, the pop princess, you know? So she had to create this character. Maybe, but she looks pretty <laughs> darn good in this movie for an ugly person. No, she does. She does. It is weird to see someone. It's like, did you ever read Ready Player One? Yes. Yes. I love and Ready like, Player One. Yeah. Well, the character there is like, they're, they never meet in real life. Well, they haven't met in real life. And she's like, you wouldn't love me if you knew me. And you get the sense that she hates herself. And then it oh, turns yeah. out this has a birthmark on her face. And watching the movie, I was so excited to see how they portray this because, of course, she's like this gorgeous, thin, classically beautiful woman. And they just like oh, have yeah. this like sad little birthmark <laughs> oh, over yeah. one eye. And you're just like, really, girlfriend? Like, get over yourself. You're beautiful, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's just a trope you see in a lot of dumb movies. Yeah. So, Well, I was like, this movie looks so stupid <laughs> and I needed to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll probably do a whole episode about it. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't make me see it. Yeah. No, I don't know. It looks kind of like you sort of knew the end from the beginning. So I don't know how interesting it'll be to watch. It just seemed like a lot of every other. Yeah, it just seemed like every other like music movie out there, like Walk the Line and stuff where it's just this relationship that's meant to be good but it ends up being toxic is what i'm getting and like someone has to fall so the other can rise is what i'm gonna assume happens and i was shocked that this is the fourth remake of this movie because it looks i know that's crazy (laughs) also i've never heard of it before but i haven't either my parents saw the trailer and they're like that's a remake my dad (laughs) was grumpy about it so i don't know if the old ones were good but i doubt it well they had to be better than this i'm pretty sure yeah (laughs) yeah but is that your tell me something I don't know? Because I can top that, man. I have other things. Uh, did you know that they're making a Sopranos prequel movie? No, that's that's interesting. I've never seen the Sopranos. Oh my gosh, Shelby, get with the times. <laughs> get the with so- the times. Isn't that like an old movie? Isn't that before our what? time? Technically? No, it's not a movie. It's a TV show. <laughs> How? Oh my gosh! I need a new. I've like heard of it. I I didn't know it. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
you are really no i'm sorry that's my bad to be fair though it's just like there's so many it just sound it's just one of those ubiquitous like shows slash movies i've heard of so it just was in my head but I'm glad to hear it's getting a prequel. Is it okay? Well, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can be quiet now, and I'll talk about this for a little while since clearly you <laughs> yeah. are out of your depth. So, The Sopranos, for those of you who are uninformed, was a phenomenal <laughs> show that ran on HBO for I think seven or eight seasons back in the like late '90s, early 2000s. It might have all been in the 2000s. I'm not exactly sure on the dates. But it was about all these mobsters who lived in Newark, New Jersey, or in that area. And two of the the main characters, Tony Soprano, who in the show is probably, you know, in his 40s. And one of the other main characters in the early seasons is his uncle, Junior, who is who was kind of ran the mob with Tony's father. And so this movie now that they're going to make called The Many Saints of Newark is about Tony Soprano's father and Uncle Junior. Um, and it's set in the 1960s. Okay. And at first I was sort of like, Sopranos is so good. Like, why would you go back and try to, you know, glom onto this thing that it's such like, a perfect entity? But then... The guy who is directing it, Alan Taylor, has dr- directed some episodes of The Sopranos and Game of Thrones and Mad Men. And it feels like it's going to be a completely different story with completely different actors. So I was sort of like, OK, maybe I can get into this. Uh, you know, we'll, we shall see. So like a pretty like a pretty dude heavy story, like a pretty bro-y sort well, of. <laughs> I would imagine just because it's about like the mob in the 60s right. and I'm not sure how many women were in the mob in the 60s but I mean I'm sure that there will be uh, wives involved in the show. Edie Falco is amazing in the original Soprano show as Tony's wife. Okay, so okay. I mean, they're, bringing, they're bringing that you know caliber of story writing back then. There might be some really cool female characters i don't know <laughs> we can go see that and talk about it on our show instead of frigging us the star okay. is born okay i'll do it i'll do it for you 1960s mobsters sounds yeah fresh and original and something that's <laughs> never been done before <laughs> Shut up. okay you got me on that one but i have to keep going with this because i'm excited to talk about this have you heard of the new reality show castaways um i feel like i read something about it but it's not like yes okay listen it's literally lost but real life and it is so strange and intriguing to me and i don't watch reality tv shows like that but i still feel compelled to watch it because basically they just dump people in dramatic fashions, like some people will be thrown in the middle of the ocean. Some people will find themselves waking up on the beach. What do you mean find themselves waking up? <laughs> are, they, are they like drugging these people and then just leaving them on the yeah. beach? Yeah, exactly. That's not, I mean, that might be, I don't know if that's a true detail, but that's what I'm envisioning. But they don't know who else is on the island and they don't know how to survive. And there will be flashbacks to their life before the show yes (laughs) so it's like it's like a lost it's like lost it's literally like lost they already have a great island reality show it's called survivor (laughs) no this is different because it's not like 
challenge driven. It's just right. survival. It's like Naked and Afraid or whatever those Bear Grylls shows are, except for they're being drugged at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have to like find people or live alone or try and figure out. I don't know. I I'm just saying I'm interested. Six episodes before it gets canceled. <laughs> And if it gets that well, far, it's lucky. Well, that's because we live in a cancel-happy culture. It's just unfortunate shows aren't allowed time to breathe, mm, you know? Yes, yes. I'm sure that this show would really get onto its legs in the second season. <laughs> you never know is all I'm saying. I oh I just, gosh. it might be fun, you know? It might fill a void that Lost left for me. <laughs> Maybe. I, I can't say for sure. If this fills the void that Lost left for you, you have a very sad existence. Because they're not acknowledging that it's based on Lost, but I hope they play into it eventually and like introduce a like it's ABC. And oh. I hope they like I hope they like introduce a smoke monster or something or like yeah, there's a polar hatch. bear. Yeah, I just like I hope they start playing into the obvious parallels more and more because I think that would make it more interesting. What if one of the episodes, like the people wake up on the island from being drugged and there's Evangeline Lilly also on the island? <laughs> yeah, see, now you're talking. It sounds amazing. I think it's like, what if they set this all up so people thought they were just doing like a survivor thing, but then it turns out they're just being trolled by a major television network who's trying to drum up interest in their best TV series they've ever done. And so they're just like, oh, what would pe- real people do if there was a polar bear? And then people wouldn't really question it. They'd just go with it. And then ABC would be able to be like, see, you guys are nitpicky about all this nonsense and loss. But in reality, we were right about how people would react to it. Yeah, so how are they going to do the part where, like, they're dead and they're in purgatory, but then they're also on the island, but God is also on the island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they have to get to the season five and six for those for those questions to be answered. So we just have to hope it makes it past season one, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm just okay. saying, it could, be, it could be good, you know? But no. you, how about you? Tell me something I don't know. I dare you. Um, okay, what else do I have on the list here? I feel like I have some sort of uh, sensitive subjects on here, and I'm trying to decide whether I want to bring them up. Or not. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> but I don't think Come I want to. Curious. So instead, I'm going what? to talk about... Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... I mean, I have some really silly ones, so we can talk about your serious one. And if I hate it, then we'll just go straight to mine. Okay. I mean, maybe this is also silly, too. But did you see how Zac Efron now has dreadlocks? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I love Zac Efron because I am a young woman with eyes. And... um. I am usually not into the dreadlock look, but for some reason, when I saw his Instagram, I literally texted my sister and I was like, I'm into this, you know? So (laughs) it's not a controversial topic for me. I'll talk about it all day. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I guess whether he looks good in dreadlocks or not is one topic, but there was all this backlash about cultural appropriation. And it's the same thing that happened with Kim Kardashian a couple weeks ago where she had um, cornrows and people were like, oh, Kim, you're not supposed to have cornrows. And I don't know. No, it's interesting. For some reason, I guess dreadlocks on dudes have been more associated with surfer guys in my life that I never even like think about the um, 
the cultural like appropriation angle, mm-hmm. but I do with women. So I don't know. I mean, I do with cornrows. So, so I don't know. I guess I respect people's opinions if that's how they feel. So I guess, I mean, I don't think he's going to keep them for long. Right. It oh, seemed yeah, like no. a, I don't think like so. Like a fun little vacation. But that's what people <laughs> were saying is that I think he said like, hey, I just got these for fun. And they were like, well, this right. is a more serious topic than that. That's interesting. So are surfers like do do white surfer bros not do are they not known for dreadlocks anymore? <laughs> I mean, I think they are, but maybe they're not supposed to be. I don't know. The So then I went down a rabbit hole where then I was just kind of like looking, you know, like reading articles about cultural appropriation just in general, because I felt like I didn't understand it fully. Um, And I'm not sure I still understand it fully. Like I, I understand how, you know, it's offensive to kind of be like mocking somebody else by like the way that they dress or, you know, the, the way they do their hair. But yeah, like you were saying, you know, all of these surfers also have dreadlocks and it seems like a like a very specific thing that they're using in a different way. So I don't know. I'm right. It's not like it's not like dressing up as an Indian or a I don't know, like a Uncle Ben or something and being like, LOL, look how funny I am. Yeah, I know. It's an interesting topic. It's sort of like like with cornrows and with like a lot of more, I notice it more with like fashion where they're like Kylie and Kendall Jenner once had a website of clothes they designed mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they tried to like make shirts that had like Tupac's face on them and was like gangster related. And they're like, why are you guys stepping into this culture? Like you have no association with it. Like what, what can you add to this? Why are you profiting off of something that black people have been like refused jobs for liking or looking like, you know? So right. in that sense, I notice it more readily than in like dreadlocks that have probably been appropriated, misappropriated, you know, earlier so that I don't even notice it necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can kind of put the cat back in the bag with that right. one, but maybe that's... Yeah, well, and we're both white people so <laughs> yeah so we're, we're not the best people to be talking about this in general but i feel like it it is something that i'm trying to like understand actively right. and and i was thinking about how yeah with fashion and with you know um hairstyles it seems like it's a very clear line of what people call appropriation and what people don't. Right. But then I was thinking about like food, which seems to me to be almost a more cultural phenomenon. But if somebody, right. you know, who is white decides to make tacos, that's not cultural appropriation. I don't know. I just find it very intriguing. And I feel like I want to know more about it. Like I, I need to read more. Yeah. I think with food, though, there's like a helpless nod to the originator of it. So like when I make curry, it's like I'm making curry based on Indian recipes that are like legit curries. So Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm like I'm not making something and then being like, look at this delicious thing I made. It's all mine. Like, aren't white people amazing? I just created this dish. And I think with more like the fashion and the hair choices, there does tend to be like something isn't cool or accepted until a white celebrity Mm -hmm. does it. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Let's all do it. So I think that's where part of the 
the struggle comes from. I guess that does make sense. Yeah. Well, we're so woke, yes. man. We're just like, oh trying God. to understand. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, that's what people are going to be taking away from this podcast. I know. And speaking of Kylie Jenner, did you hear that she had her lip fillers removed? Yes, I saw this. <laughs> This was a big deal, guys, because Kylie has always been really insecure about her mouth, which has, I don't know, she has a thin upper lip, I guess she felt really insecure about. So like, before she became like Insta famous Kylie, she started getting her lips pumped, but wouldn't tell anyone. And then she released these lip kits. And like, basically, she created like a social media frenzy where people were literally like suctioning their lips to get big lips is like the Kylie lip challenge. And now she got them removed and it's just like whoa you know <laughs> like what is the world i don't know, I know. do i want to live in a world where kylie jenner has small lips <laughs> yeah it's like who do i go to for my lip kits can i even trust her you know like ha- um, do i need thin lips now like are are big lips still cool i don't know yeah maybe it's maybe rough. little thin lips are in now just like how little thin sunglasses are in Tiny called Kylie and said uh, little lips are in now so get those pulled out (laughs) yeah it'll be crazy to see how you know if she can make the trend reverse or if she'll go back or if she'll just have thin lips and everyone will move on with their lives it's uh it's really (laughs) Sophie's choice here in the (laughs) world of 2018 what will happen it's so hard to say okay do you have another one I do. Give me something that I really won't know. Okay. I think you might know this, but I hope you don't because I thought it was so interesting. Did you see the hashtag Plain Bay? No, I did not. (laughs) Okay. Maybe you heard the story. So this like sort of actress lady, she's not really famous until now. Um, She was on a plane and she started live tweeting about seeing this meet cute of this couple in the row in front of her. Oh, I did see this. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But go on. And so she starts posting all the photos of them flirting, talking about what they're doing, what they're saying, where they're going on the plane, followed them off the plane, took pictures, and then found them on Instagram and told the internet like about what they like and what they don't like and if they're in a relationship based on stalking their social media on Mm -hmm. a large platform. Like she's not famous, but she had thousands of followers and she had hundreds of thousands of people following this story. So of course people freaked out, lit up and they like started stalking these two people. And the guy was like way into it. He like outed himself immediately was on all these talk shows with the with the stalker to couple <laughs> and the girl has refused to give her name. She's clearly uncomfortable and uninterested. And the couple keeps like nudging him and is like, you guys are sneaky. You can figure out who she is. And like basically challenge their fans to go find this girl. And she got harassed so bad that she deleted all her social media accounts and has just like disappeared into the night. Oh my gosh. I know. It's like that- people are just the worst, you know? Ugh. That that's terrifying because now you start thinking, what if I'm at a restaurant and the person next to me decides that I am of interest for some reason and then stalks me home? Yeah. This sort of reminds me though of my favorite news story of 2018 so far, which was when the lady behind Greta Gerwig at I Feel Pretty was live tweeting 
Greta Gerwig's reactions to the movie. Did you hear about that story? I did not. Oh my gosh. Oh, Shelby. This was great. And Greta Gerwig like hated it and kept saying things like, oh, this is the worst. And 80 (laughs) Brian was wasted on this movie. And this woman behind her was like tweeting all of these things that Greta Gerwig said. And it was like Greta Gerwig is all of us going to see I Feel Pretty. (laughs) That's true. I do relate to that. But I'm also like slightly offended that one Greta Gerwig was talking through a movie and two that someone was tweeting during a movie there that was also a whole plot line of this story of the fact that the woman you know a lot of people said oh you shouldn't have had your phone out and she said well it was an afternoon showing there wasn't very many people in the theater there was no one behind her Greta was there with a couple of friends and so you know there was only like 10 people in the theater and they were talking loud enough that the woman right behind Greta could hear them but not loud enough any everybody else could but then there was also this whole plot line of the fact that the woman said that Greta Gerwig had a really big bought like a giant coke and then later when Greta was trying to like cover her tracks because she knows some of the people in that movie and was making yeah. fun of it was like no I didn't even have a big coke this woman is lying and it was like mm, no oh my gosh was she lying was she not we don't know because we just eat up weird news stories like this it's crazy like just the obsession we get because it's like why are we so interested in what Greta Gerwig is saying about this movie but I would have read the whole thing. Oh, I'll probably yeah. go find it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you Google it, like Greta Gerwig, I feel pretty, it'll come right up. Yeah. I mean, I think the celebrities' lives are just so interesting because they're so different from yours, but then in the same way, they're so similar to you as well because you're both people. And it's just endlessly fascinating to, you know, watch their interactions. Yeah, but- I know. It's creepy to like see normal people being stalked to this point. Because if it was like they were live tweeting, if this plane bay had been like live tweeting like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend on a plane, no one would have cared. They would have just been like, cool. But since right. it was just like nobodies who have personal lives they didn't offer up to the media, it's like so weird to have them outed in such a aggressive and voyeuristic way. So we're all just turning into like, I don't even know, just weird. We're going to turn into like a Black Mirror episode soon where we're just (laughs) policing each other and like (laughs) sharing weird videos and we become the entertainment. Oh, my gosh. Well, (laughs) I'll tell you what did not become the entertainment. Ant-Man and the Wasp because it was so freaking boring. (laughs) You're a hater, though. I think... Okay, so as we get into this feature presentation, it's like important to let the people know that you don't like Marvel. No. We have to set that up right now. Yes. Okay. I do not like Marvel. <laughs> and it's not that I yeah. just don't like Marvel. I don't like superhero movies in general for a number of reasons. First, Well, you like Christopher Nolan's, I thought. Yeah, I mean, there's a several superhero movies that I like. It's not that I just, you know, hate people wearing capes and won't go see any of those movies. It's more just the fact that I feel like superhero movies are so easy to predict what happens. Like nothing that exciting happens in them normally for as much as they're billed as full excitement 100% of the time. It's sort of like there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, the good guy will look like he's losing to the bad guy then through some you know manner of usually the good guy overcoming some inner flaw he then eventually beats the bad guy and then we get a sequel and the same exact series of events happens again right i don't even watch 
superhero movies when they come out. But because you decided that we were going to do <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp for this podcast, I had to go back and watch the first Ant-Man movie. And then I had to go watch the second Ant-Man movie. And then, lo and behold, in the middle of the second movie, I realized the first one doesn't even matter because everything they're referencing is from some Captain America movie that I did not think <laughs> that I needed to see. So I was so freaking confused the uh, whole time. You know, I feel <sighs> bad. I have to let you know. I... um. I meant to tell you, but then I just figured, why not? Um, I never saw the first Ant-Man. What? So. <laughs> I know. I just missed it. I think there was a point in like the last few years where I was overwhelmed by the amount of Marvel movies. And I was just like, enough is enough. And I didn't see that one or like Iron Man 3, like those sequels ones. And I didn't see it. And I didn't rewatch it for oh this one gosh. either. So. <laughs> I have like four pages of notes here on these stupid movies. You haven't even seen one of them. This but is I've seen, I've I've seen Captain you. America. I've seen Captain America and I've I've seen it I've seen and understood and appreciated Infinity Wars. So Ugh. I still feel very comfortable in in offering a more measured and perhaps less biased take on Ant-Man than you could. How so. <laughs> dare you? How dare you? I guess... I'm sorry. I guess before we get into Ant-Man and the Wasp, we should just talk sort of in general about the Marvel Universe and kind of the state of the... Oh, man. Yeah. I know. It's pretty wild. I was thinking about that. Um today in preparation of this because just the sheer undertaking that they really like dedicated themselves to in creating this universe and making sure the pieces fit together for better or worse. I think like you said, they can be very predictable. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's almost worth praising them for because think of the like amount of careful research and study goes into making sure these pieces all line up and play into each other and lead to somewhere that the end-all be-all, whoever's controlling the Marvel Universe, wants it to end up in, you know? Like, can you just respect the sheer audacity of Iron Man just burgeoning into this insane cinematic universe with, like, 37 characters and, like, 800 movies, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how far we've come, but I mean, it is impressive that they've somehow managed to, this was the 20th Marvel film or in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That doesn't even count all of the ones that, you know, like the Amazing Spider-Man or Deadpool or whatever that are Marvel movies, but aren't in this universe. But this is something that really has been annoying me for the past (laughs) couple of months. And I don't want to get too far into the Star Wars rabbit hole because I could be in there for (laughs) eons. Okay. But it drives me so crazy. I I like had an hour-long phone call rant with my brother. When Solo comes out and everyone's like, oh, Star Wars fatigue, too much Star Wars. Like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And I'm like, you've had two movies in like six months. And then there wasn't one for like two years before that. And then before that, there wasn't one for like 15 years. And yet we've had five Marvel movies in the past seven months. And (laughs) no one seems fatigued by that at all. Is that real? Yes. So we had Thor Ragnarok, which was back in November. We had Black Panther in February. We had friggin' Avengers, 
whatever the uh, Infinity War yeah. in May. Then we had Deadpool 2, which oh, technically okay. isn't MCU, count. but is still Marvel. <laughs> and then we have friggin' Ant-Man and the Wasp showing up now. Like, this is too many okay, movies. Okay, but to and be I fair, to, all of to them. be fair, to be fair, um, they're all different characters. So it's not the same fatigue you get when you see the same characters recycled in Star Wars. But, um, um, uh, which characters from Solo were also in okay, uh, The Last Jedi? Solo- Chewbacca. But yeah. that's it. <laughs> Everyone gets sick of Chewbacca, man. No, I don't. I didn't hear that criticism for a solo. What I heard was it was a boring, badly done film, which I agreed with. How because- dare you? That movie was great. <laughs> I need a whole yeah. podcast just on that. You'll just do your own special episode. Matthew talks about solo. Yeah, which you probably didn't even see solo. You know, yes, there's I all did. these movies you haven't seen. You haven't seen Ant Man. You haven't seen Solo. Yeah. Who knows what yeah. you've watched? <laughs> Okay, I've seen Solo, and I've seen Ant-Man, and I saw the seven other movies you mentioned about Marvel. So I've caught up on Marvel. I just missed a couple. I just had a couple holes. But like you said, it didn't even matter in this film. I was barely confused. Yeah, well. I just didn't know the ending. They, I didn't know he went to the quantum realm in the first one, so I guess... That's where I was confused. And I heard the first one was good. So I feel like I missed out. (laughs) Well, since I did watch the first one, let me give you a little bit of a recap because I want this information to go (laughs) something. And I have a lot of gripes about the first movie too. Uh, So basically, Paul Rudd is in prison for some undisclosed reason. Like he's... He worked for a company that was bad, and then he turned them in, but somehow or another he got put in prison anyways. I was slightly confused about that. Mm -hmm. He gets out of jail and goes to work at Baskin-Robbins because he's an ex-con and nobody will hire him. For some reason, still confusing to me, Michael Douglas, who has this special chemical that can shrink people, decides that he needs... Paul Rudd to be the Ant-Man that Michael Douglas used to be. Michael Douglas used to be an Ant-Man, but now he's old, so he can't be the Ant-Man again. And he doesn't want his daughter, Evangeline Lilly, to be the Ant-Man because his wife died as the Wasp, like, Mm -hmm. way back in the 60s or something. Mm -hmm. So he finds Paul Rudd randomly and, like, lures Paul Rudd into robbing Michael Douglas's house and then when Paul Rudd like breaks into the house, then Michael Douglas is like, gotcha. And now you're going to be the Ant-Man. And then Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas basically, you know, do some Ant-Man fight scenes in order to stop the bad guy who runs a company that has like a rival shrink gun thing that can, you know, kill people or whatever. I'm... I want to trust you, but I feel like you're misrepresenting the first one somehow. Is that uh, really no. what happens? No, 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 no. I don't know. <laughs> yes, that, that is what happens. Okay. That is basically okay, what happens. It was like, honey, I shrunk the kids mixed with, I don't know, some kind of like really awful, uh, like bad 80s action movie. That's what it was. So, Lang, so Michael Douglas's character, Pim. He gets him to steal the suit to prove he can steal, and then he's going to go steal another suit or something. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's the other thing about the 
Ant-Man, the original Ant-Man. So I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, obviously, because I just watched it this week. So it's fresh in my mind and I know all of the details really well. But the majority of the good scenes in the movie were the scenes in the trailer, which is the same for the Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) But, you know, basically that trailer scene where they're like fighting in the toy train track, that is the big battle of the movie where Paul Rudd is fighting against Corey Stoll Uh uh, from House of Cards. And then Paul Rudd wins and everybody lives happy ever after. So I thought, but then apparently there's a big chunk that happens in some Captain America movie that I missed. Well, to be so fair, you so tell us about that, in the Captain me? America, basically, it's a mini Avengers movie because Captain America is like classic Captain America. And he's all like, I'm better than everyone. I'm above the law. You guys and your stupid like international agreement to keep us in check is ruining my life because you want to murder my murderous friend. And so he goes rogue to save one dude. And I really don't like Captain America, FYI. But in the end, he goes up against Iron Man and Captain America's like, I need some help. Or is... So anyways, there ends up being a showdown between like half of the Avengers and the other half. So like Captain America and and Bucky and like his crew, like what's her name? Scarlett Johansson's wow, character. <laughs> I really wish I'd seen this movie. I'm telling you, I didn't, everyone loved this movie. I do not like Captain America. I think all his movies are boring and this one was no different except for this one scene where all the Avengers come together and they duke it out. And so Ant-Man appears and he becomes giant man for a little bit. And he's like fighting all these superheroes like Spider-Man and stuff. Very funny. You can probably find this scene on YouTube. But that's how it ends. And so I will let you know that like, even though I'd seen that, I was still confused by the dialogue in Ant-Man and the Wasp because it seems like a lot of what happened wasn't shown in the movie, which was that I guess he had been dating the Wasp and then just left to go to Germany or wherever it was where he had this epic fight. And then from the epic fight, it was in disagreement with what the the peace accords had been where they all agreed not to fight each other. And so he was, he was sentenced to house arrest. Right. So did you get that part? Well, I got the fact that he was sentenced from house arrest because that's the whole first 10 minutes. Yeah. Of the movie, <laughs> that he's under house arrest. But again, like this is, this is so convoluted. This plot leading into this movie. No wonder we didn't understand it. Well, so it's like, it was like, It just all, so that's the thing is the Marvel universe is so intricate that it's like things are happening that don't even make it to the movies. Like it's all just like talked about behind the scenes. It's like, it's like (laughs) real life, you know, stuff happens that you don't catch. Episode of Westworld, I have to, you know, get, I have to watch each movie four times. I I have to read some blog posts about it in order to decipher the clues of what's going on in these superhero movies. I know. Another thing that I was confused about, not related to the plot, but (laughs) at the end of the first Ant-Man movie, after the credit, post-credit scene, you get this little card that says Ant-Man will return. Uh And so I guess that they already knew when they made the first one that they were going to make the second one. Yeah. Which seems a little presumptuous on their part. Is it? I mean, we live in the era of sequels and an era of Marvel obsession. I mean, yes. But this movie 
did not do I mean it did well in the fact that it earned out its budget but it didn't do well in comparison to the other Marvel MCU movies like I looked it up on box office mojo and it's ranked 16th of the of the 19 movies before this one that just came out right really low and when you ingest it for inflation it's actually ranked second from the bottom the only one that made less money than this is the incredible Iron Man 2 oh dang it (sighs) yeah and the and the ones that are ranked lower than it you know in sales in general are the earlier ones that made less money because of inflation so i was sort of surprised seeing those numbers that they would even make a second one why wouldn't (laughs) you make one of uh, like another of one of the other movies in the franchise that had sold better especially since this movie doesn't seem to really tie in very much to anything else that's going on in the mcu oh 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 no that's what's interesting and that's like the point is Marvel is so beyond like caring about numbers, caring about box office. Marvel cares about its next chapter. And that is something I don't like. I think a lot of story is lost because they're just excited about what comes next. I think you saw that especially with Doctor Strange, which was like honestly one of the worst ones beyond the sequels to Iron Man. Like Doctor Strange was so boring because they were just setting up for the next Doctor Strange. And You can feel that in all the movies now. It's like not about what's happening in the movie. It's about where the movie's going to reach. Like, what's the next step for the Marvel Universe? How does this piece fit into the Marvel Universe puzzle? And so with Ant-Man and the Wasp, what was interesting was watching it in the context of just seeing Infinity Wars. Like, this is the first one to come out after Infinity Wars, where Infinity Wars really, like, you know, it erased half the universe, quite literally. And... This was everyone was waiting to see how this tied in because it was promised that it would tie in, and that's what people needed. And in the end, you see that Easter egg. And Matthew, I hate to tell you, but that Easter egg is big news for Infinity Wars, too. So, <laughs> so it does matter. Like, Ant Man is going to be a crucial part of Infinity Wars, too, is what people are saying. Oh, hmm. I'm assuming that you. I'm assuming that you're talking about the scene where the uh, giant ant is playing rock band at the end post Is that is that what's tying <laughs> no. into Infinity War? No, II? this is the mid credit scene oh, where okay, he goes sorry. into the quantum realm and is left there because um, the wasp and Nim and his wife or whatever they are evaporated into the I don't know the no one knows where they went but they're gone so he's stuck in this um, quantum realm. And so, honestly, I don't know why I have my finger on this pulse, but, like, I'm linked into a lot of weird Marvel, like, I just stumble onto these articles Mm -hmm. about Marvel um, theories. And so, basically, there's a throwaway line in the movie, if you remember, after they rescue the wife. She warns Scott, like, be careful of the time vortexes down there. She, like, says, be careful of the time vortexes down there. Which everyone assumes means he oh, will somehow be able to get into time. this time vortex and he'll Save be able everybody. to mess with the timeline. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what's interesting. Like that is the blessing and the curse of having such an intricate 
franchise is because there are these like strange, tiny little Easter eggs that are going to mean something later. Like Infinity Wars, I know you hated it and you like ranted about it on on your uh, Instagram story and you didn't get the post credit scene in that one either, I don't no. think. Where the, where the pager rings and I was supposed to know that that is related to another superhero that's not been in any movie yet. Exactly. No, yes. So Nick Fury, who's sort of the like grandfather of this Marvel universe, all the characters in it, and he uses a pager. Oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, okay, gotcha. So he uses a pager and then evaporates, and you see on the pager the symbol for Captain Marvel, which is Brie Larson's upcoming movie. Brie Larson is going to be. Yes, it's going to be so good because better of her. How did she stoop so low? The things she people will do for money. That's what happened. Okay, like listen, she stooped real low, real fast. Okay, that movie was the worst movie I've possibly ever she seen. Probably made so. that before Room. It was already in the can. I bet. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't actually because I remember Tom Hiddleston and her talking about how excited they were to be doing it. But that is neither here nor there because the point is, Brie Larson is going to be Captain Marvel in a movie coming out next year where. It takes place in the 90s, hence the pager. And so, yes. So what they think is happening is that um, since Captain Marvel, I guess one of her skills or like one of her powers is she can like travel through time or something or not travel through time, but she's been to the quantum realm, I think, is what I was reading. Um, So she'll be able to either... She'll be either able to travel to the uh, present day or whatever. Wow. We'll see. You know, this is all hearsay. Here's (laughs) here's the thing that is frustrating is so you said, oh, this Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's going to tie into the Avengers world, blah, 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 blah. But really, that scene that you're talking about is not even in the movie proper. It's halfway through the credits. The whole rest of the movie, which they should be focusing on, is like a hot mess of a jumble but i guess let's get into the movie itself yeah we can talk about it so we start with the cold open of the movie which is basically a scene that is in ant-man the original which you haven't seen shelby but i well yeah i'm glad it was in there because i needed yeah (laughs) so this scene where Pam, Michael Douglas's character, and Michelle Pfeiffer's character are trying to defuse some sort of bomb or missile, and the coating on the missile is too thick that they can't get through it with their tiny little ant wasp bodies. So Michelle Pfeiffer has to go into the quantum realm so that she can go down in the particles of this bomb and dismantle it somehow. But in the process, she gets lost in the quantum realm and dies forever, basically. Yeah, disappears. Right. So Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly, his daughter, Hope, in the movie, I think that's her name, both grow up thinking, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer is gone forever. But, dun-dun-dun, we learn right away that actually Michelle Pfeiffer might still be alive in the quantum realm, somehow surviving for 40 years. We don't know how, but we're going to rescue her. 30, but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important because Hope is clearly not 45, so... I just, I just want to, you know, keep you. Okay, we just okay. need to deliver okay. for information. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's really what we're here for. I will say this: yeah. <laughs> another bullet you dodged in not seeing the original Ant Man is that you missed Evangeline Lilly's 
terrible wig in the first movie. I it know. is the most horrendous hair wig I have seen since the Julia Roberts in Mother's Day red bob haircut wig. <laughs> Nightmare. I don't understand why they had to put her in that in the first movie when she could just have normal hair like she does in the second one. But they were trying to make a character choice. It's like she was like, I'm all business, you know? Oh, is that what that was supposed to convey? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Women don't get characterization in movies women don't get to explore characters in movies they get haircuts that's all they get it's why you see the same you see the same serious bob on what's her face in jurassic world and you see it on kate blanchett in ida um the redhead in the first movie yeah in the first movie she has i've locked that out of my mind she has the bob no i'm telling you this is a trend it's like the bob is how men show women are serious, boring business people. And they haven't, you know, they haven't had a man who's like softened them and opened their eyes to what the world can be. And then they grow out their hair. That's what happens every time. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's a thing. Well, I didn't pick up on that character development in these movies, but it apparently was very subtle. Yeah. (laughs) Subtlety. (laughs) Hit you over the head with it. But um, yeah, so then you get um, the backstory of Ant-Man himself being under house arrest and creating an elaborate cardboard box house for his daughter. That was just like the most unbelievable part of the movie to me. Yes, this maze through the whole house made out of cardboard boxes that also leads to a cardboard box slide that goes three stories down like a back it was dangerous, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. I think that was where I was like, what's happening? And then they tried to explain it away by him having tons of free time, which like maybe, but also where do you get that many cardboard boxes? And why would you do that with your time? And also my main question I'm hoping you can answer is, um, what is the deal with the sidekick guy? Like they have a company they're running together or something? Oh, yes. So this is also related to the first movie. See, it was so useful yes, for you to have watched it. Thank you yes, for doing that. I'm, I have all the details. <laughs> so in the first movie, Paul Rudd's character is in jail. He gets out of jail and Lewis, I believe, is Michael Pena's character's name. Yeah. He used to be Paul Rudd's cellmate, but he got out before Paul Rudd. So right. Paul Rudd moves into his house. So it's him and then okay. Michael Pena and T.I. and then the other guy who I can't remember what his name is but the four of them are like roommates and basically the other three are like the comedic relief in the first movie so then they're just brought back in this one with this plot line of oh the four of them are launching a security company because in the first movie they are breaking into michael douglas's house so now they're protecting houses so logically okay i see i see Okay, okay 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 cool So then they all live together, I guess, again, still in the house that Paul Rudd is under house arrest in. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Paul Rudd has a dream where he like thinks he's Michelle Pfeiffer and he calls Michael Douglas and is like, I had this dream crazy, huh? And then they kidnap him and are like, this dream means something. We've been building this for the last year or two. Even though we hate you, we need your help, obviously. And that jump starts the rest, the whole movie, which is really like 
in the grand scheme of Marvel movies, superhero movies, movies in general, it's a pretty like quiet, insular film. Like there's not like a lot, there's not like a big picture happening. It's really just this movie about a guy trying to avoid detection for being out of his house while under house arrest while helping these guys who are just trying to get their wife and mother out of the quantum realm while avoiding a bad dude who wants their money. So it's like, it's very, very, very compact and not really like there's no real risk. There's no like big picture stuff happening. Like usually they're saving a planet or an entire city or fighting off a demon. And here it's just like a small action flick. I don't know. It's sort of weird. I was thankful for that, though, because one thing that really <laughs> annoys me in the Marvel movies is you have these huge stakes where there's the supervillain and a superhero and both of yeah. them are basically invincible. And then you have to come up with some strange way where one of them <laughs> is going to beat the other one when really they're like neither of them should ever be beaten by anybody. Yeah. So I liked that in this one, you really have people who kind of don't have great superpowers and the things that are at stake are are important things because you know it is getting someone's wife or mom back but not things that are as grand as oh half of the population of the world is going to die but paul rudd gets to the lab after he's kidnapped and this is where they set up this whole chain of events that's going to happen throughout the rest of the movie that really if you were watching it you would have no idea what was going on except for the fact (laughs) that these scientists in Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly are going to explain to us at each step along the way oh here is a weird thing (laughs) we're going to throw out some science terms and this is the next uh, part of the plan so they say at this point okay we have built this tunnel that we're going to use to get you into the quantum realm but we're missing one piece of equipment that we need very convenient for the audience to follow and the person who has this piece of equipment is an arms dealer so (laughs) therefore we move into the next scene where we are trying to get this piece of equipment from an arms dealer and if you haven't seen this movie you have already seen this scene because it was the scene <laughs> in the trailer where they're fighting in the kitchen where yeah a man is it was a good scene. flying knife where the yeah it was good gets blown up and hit Just somebody against the that wall. It was cool. yeah it was good yeah it was Just great but it was the 15th <laughs> time i saw it when i was watching it in the movie so I have to ask, did you, so this movie is meant to be like lighter, you know, it's Paul Rudd. He's just like this, he's just this nice dude. He's not necessarily the superhero type. He's just this lovable goofball. Did you like laugh ever in the movie? Like, do you let yourself enjoy any parts of these films or are you just unhappy the whole time? No, I really did like the, all three of the friends who are running the security business. I thought they were super funny. I especially like the bit in this movie, which is a repeat of a bit in the first movie where Michael Payne is telling a story and then they go to these people like saying what he is saying that they're saying in these voiceovers, which is really funny. So I really enjoyed that. And I laughed a lot at that part. Something that I found, I don't know, confusing in this movie is that Paul Rudd Mm -hmm. is made out to be a total idiot. There's a scene in here somewhere where somebody asks him, Oh, oh, it's in this dream sequence earlier where he is dreaming that he's Michelle Pfeiffer and he tells, uh, Michael Douglas that he was in this dream he was playing hide and go seek 
for this little girl. And they ask him, oh, where was Uh the little girl? Was she in a wardrobe? And Paul Rudd goes, no, she wasn't (laughs) in a wardrobe. She was in a big dresser thing. Like, he doesn't know what a wardrobe (laughs) is. But in the first movie, he's supposedly like an engineer and a cat burglar. He has this, like, very (laughs) sophisticated set of kind of skills that he uses to break into Michael Douglas's house. So the fact that we've taken this term from, like, engineer cat burglar to now doesn't know what a wardrobe was i was just like who is this person that's true i think that speaks to a broader issue in not only the marvel universe but movies in general we talked about it a little bit with jurassic world it's like once people once directors or creators whatever realize audiences latch on to one thing they really really drum it up so it's like if they liked the lovable goofy quirkiness of like this guy in the first one, why not make him a little dumber so those lines are a little funnier? It's what happened in Parks and Rec with Andy Dwyer. It's like he started out a normal dude, but then by the end, he was just like such a moron. And it was still charming and funny and clever, but it's like there is this like general like trend to hyper like focus on these quirks that were originally just like throwaway parts of their personality you know what i mean oh yeah definitely so i imagine that's part of it is they're just like we need to get these quirky jokes in here so let's just let's just dumb them down a little and then it'll be funnier and the audience just laps it up because we i don't know we just don't think about things like that (laughs) well then in the middle of this scene where they're trying to get the component that they need to construct the time tunnel there's this ghost character that shows up who looks like a bounty hunter from a Star Wars movie. And she (laughs) not only steals the component they need, but also steals their whole laboratory, which they've shrunk down into kind of like a suitcase type shape. Yeah. So ghost character steals the laptop and we get the next section of some science that will lead us to our next clue (laughs) where they go and visit Lawrence Fishburne, who is a, a... another scientist who used to work with Michael Douglas. Yeah. And Lawrence Fishburne says, oh, what we actually need to find this laboratory is an old super suit of Mm Ant-Man. And we don't know why we need that, but that's what we need in order to find the lab. And so then we launch into the scene where Paul (laughs) Rudd has to get an old super suit out of his daughter's backpack at school. Did you like this scene? (laughs) I did. I thought it was funny. It was funny. He's just shrunk down to this weirdly small toddler size. And I don't know. It just got me, you know? I think we just, I just wanted a lighthearted film. And I think Marvel does it best when it doesn't take itself seriously, which is why Doctor Strange and Captain America are really hard for me because they're just so boring and serious and dry and long. Whereas Thor and Iron Man, the original, were just like more fun and they just really play into the like fact that you get to play with all these interesting crazy quirky superhero stuff and so the fact that ant-man could possibly shrink to a useless size toddler is funny you know <laughs> yeah i did enjoy that where he's he's i don't know maybe like two feet three feet tall and wearing this like oversized hoodie and kind of just waddling around the school it wasn't it was yeah. an entertaining bit i will give you that <laughs> And I think it's like interesting, like, yeah, you talk about all these just like happenstance issues they have to overcome. But like, 
I don't know. Is there something more realistic about that than having this perfectly elegant, really smooth from start to finish journey, hero's journey, whereas this is just like, man, things keep going wrong and like these random people keep getting in our way and all we want to do is build this tunnel and we're not being allowed to, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I'm all for a schlocky action movie. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies are like my bread and butter, (laughs) but I like them a little... I. I think the thing that confused me with this movie is that on one hand, you have this kind of schlocky, tongue-in-cheek superhero movie that's not taking itself too seriously. But then on the other hand, you have all of this very complicated science that they are just sort of like, oh, and obviously this is what the next thing that we have to do is. But it's not, the science isn't really presented in a tongue-in-cheek way. (laughs) The science is presented as serious and then everything else is presented as tongue-in-cheek. That's true. It was it was a little tonally hard to follow because it was interesting too because there wasn't necessarily a villain that stood out at first. You thought it was Ghost, but then it turns out Ghost is just this like young girl who was the victim of her father's experiment gone wrong and her father was another co-worker of Michael Douglas who felt pushed away by Michael Douglas and left and tried to do his own thing. And then there's the villain of the like arms dealer who just wants the wants the technology to sell. And so there's like there's not real villains. There's no bad person. It's just people who are trying to survive and this ghost character is trying to figure it out like and she's almost going to misstep but she never does and in the end everyone's happy and I just think it's sort of, I don't know if they're going to set it up to make Michael Douglas's character the problem, because honestly, I was like, man, this guy has a lot of enemies, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like he should be held responsible for more of this than he's getting. And I don't know if that's just lazy writing or if it's going to come back to bite him, because it seems like, wasn't the first movie, wasn't it another person he'd like hurt to the point that he went to do his own yeah, thing? Yeah, well, the first movie, Corey Stahl's character is someone who Michael Douglas used to mentor, but then felt kind of pushed away by Michael Douglas at some point. And so is trying to, you know, perform really well and create this successful business to impress Michael Douglas or him, I guess the character's name is. But yeah, I think the whole then last half of the movie is sort of just a big extended chase slash fight scene around San Francisco where, yeah, there really yeah. isn't a villain because, or a super villain because you have Ghost, who is sort of this sad girl. You have Lawrence Fishburne's character, who isn't a superhero at all, so he's not the bad guy. Yeah. You have the arms dealers, who are also not superheroes. I mean, they shoot a, guns a couple of times, but you never really see them as a threat. So it's sort of right. just this fun romp around the city. And I, yeah. and I did enjoy this part, but again, and this goes back to something you said last week, most of this again was in the trailer for the movie, the scene where yeah. Paul Rudd is really large and, you know, tipping over the boat in San Francisco Bay is in the trailer. And that is the climax of the movie. Like, right. Do you think that this is a good move on the part of these action movies to kind of like have the whole thing to have nothing saved. No, I hate it. I hate it so much. I think the worst culprit of all times was the amazing Spider-Man when they show literally the entire sequence where he Spider-Man makes the ferry breaks the ferry down and Iron Man has to come and put it back together and rescue everyone. And they like show the whole scene and it made me so mad because it's like 
that's clearly going to matter. Like, and it did end up mattering. It was like this moment where he's robbed of his costume and he's told he can't be an Avenger. And it's like, is this pivotal moment? And it's like, that would have been more powerful if we had just been allowed to watch it. And I honestly just think we, I think there's a problem where producers and studios think we need to know what we're getting in order to go. And we need the splashiest, loudest, funniest bits to like show up. And since it doesn't drive down sales, they just keep doing it. And I don't know how to fix it at this point because I think people are okay with it. And I don't know why, because I hate it. I just think it's like, movies are so much better when you don't know what's coming. Yeah. And the the cool part about Ant-Man, which I will give to them, is this idea that in these fight scenes, the superheroes are shrinking and enlarging, but also they're using everyday objects that they can also shrink and enlarge. Yeah. And the most interesting examples of that are all in the trailer. It's the salt shaker, it's the running on the knife blade, and it's this part where they throw a Pez dispenser out of the back of a bus and it gets really (laughs) big and hits the guy on a motorcycle. And all three of those scenes are in the trailer. And I think you need to put more of those in the movie so that you can use those three in the trailer and still have another four or five for us who are you know, paying to go see it or just don't put all of those in the trailer. Give us only things from that first knife scene in the trailer and don't put the whole chase around San Francisco in there because yeah, like we don't need that. We already know what the movie's going to be about. Exactly. And it's like, I don't think Marvel could, I think Marvel could do zero promotion and still get huge numbers to any movie they put out, especially at this point, because they're just this monolith and like everyone's going to go. But like, it doesn't make sense that they like, are they just showing off? Are they just trying to like, there's no need for them to sell their stuff. Like there's no need to oversell what they've done because people trust them to put out these great movies. And like even movies like this one that aren't the favorites, they're still performing very well at box office. They're still getting really well reviewed. And so it's just like, don't, you know, like, honestly, I think it'd be cooler and greater. And it seems like it'd be a better payoff for creators to watch an audience react to the movie as it was meant to be seen and not knowing what's coming, not knowing what surprises will hit and like being able to appreciate it as a whole instead of in these fragmented trailers that are just like, here's every funny joke and cool visual and oh my gosh, you don't even have to see the movie anymore, but we know you will, so LOL. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But this movie has done well. It's already earned out its budget, which is really great in the fact that it's only been out did it come out it came out this weekend so it's only yeah it's only been out one weekend and and i don't know if it's out globally yet or if it's just out in the u.s but it was it had a 162 million dollar budget and it's already earned that back um i guess let's talk now about at the end of the movie it says that the ant-man and the wasp will return question mark do you think this means that there's going to be another Ant-Man movie or that they're just going to reappear in the next Avengers movie? Oh, Matthew, I think this, I, I definitely think there'll be another Ant-Man and um, I definitely think they'll be in the infinity wars. And I think Marvel is going to find it hard to like, I think it's going to kill off the, this is my hot take is they're going to kill off the major, the original Avengers, like Iron Man Captain America and Thor. Um, who else is it? Um, uh, Black Widow. Mm, no, who am I thinking of? Hawkeye. 
Yeah, I don't know. Definitely Iron Man. Definitely Iron Man and Captain America. They're gonna die, and they're just gonna pave way for these new characters. So I think I, I think Ant Man still has a bunch left. I'm sure Guardian still has a bunch. I think they're just transitioning to this younger, newer, hotter, like you know, cooler vibe. So Ant Man is definitely not on the chopping block, and I don't think any characters are on the chopping blocks except for the ones who want out. And that would be (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. You know, like they just want out. They want to be done. Yeah, I also want out. And I'm not even in the movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what was frustrating to me, and I guess I didn't see the first one to compare, but I was really expecting more of Evangeline Lilly because she's in the title and everyone was talking about like, oh, she's the first female character to be titled in a Marvel Universe movie. And it's like, I thought she'd be a bigger part of it. And she wasn't. And I don't even think she deserved to be on the title. Like it was literally just Ant-Man 2 to me because the Wasp was just this insulary character who showed up when needed, but was also very much just a part of Ant-Man's story and Ant-Man's journey and Ant-Man's like character growth. And she just wasn't really playing a major role to me. But I don't know, having seen the first one and then seen this one, do you feel like she did step up to be like a title character? I think it depends on how you look at it, because in the sense of who is the main character of the story, obviously Ant-Man is the main character Mm -hmm. in both. I mean, he is the point of view that we're following through this movie. The scenes that we're seeing are with him in it for the most part. There's some scenes with, you know, bad guys or whoever else in it. But for the most part, it's him. But I will say, as far as the action scenes of the movie went, I thought that the Wasp had just as many, if not more, and did a better job in them, especially since, like we were talking about earlier, that Ant-Man is sort of a bumbling character in this one, which he (laughs) Yeah. And in the first one, the whole plot line around Evangeline Lily is that she wants to be Ant-Man, but that her father won't let her because he's worried that she'll die like his wife. And then and then she kind of proves herself at the end and says, like, look, I can do this just because, you know, mom died doesn't mean that I'm gonna die. And so now in the second movie, she is equal parts of the fighting duo even if she's not like you know the focal point of the movie itself that makes sense i mean i did appreciate her fight scenes i thought she was way cool and obviously having your own wings is cooler than like flying on an ant so i was all for that but it was just like I feel like Marvel was trying to throw audiences a bone by being like, oh, we're having a female-led film. See, they're they're co-headlining. And then they didn't really give her anything to work with beyond like, oh, for the first half of the movie, she hates Ant-Man and she's mad at him. And then by the second half, she's forgiven him. And now they're kissing and happily ever after. And so it was just sort of like, Marvel, you're not getting it. Like, you know, we want the interesting characters to be the women too, instead of having such boring characters that the actresses are walking out of contracts, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I did think that the most interesting character in the movie was the ghost character. And, you know, that's, that's true. She was and I thought she was by far the best actor. She I was. was so drawn to her on any scene that she had. She was just killing it. And really, the script that she had to work with was not great. And she still brought a lot to it. So <laughs> I, I was very impressed on that front. I know. It'll be interesting to see if her character and Lawrence Fishburne are in the next ones. Or if they're just sort of like done. It It seems like there has to be more of them. Like, 
it would be weird to write off Lawrence's character, especially because they didn't really like explore that relationship. Like they didn't have a wrap up for him and um, Michael Douglas. Wow. Oh, I, (laughs) I have some Marvel scoop. I did not read any Marvel blogs or anything, but in my Wikipedia ing of this movie to, you know, get all of the, names of the cast and whatever i saw that his character had a link to it uh-huh. on the wikipedia page and so i clicked on it and apparently he is a super villain called like something goliath i think what? so maybe he turns out to be the super villain in the next movie i don't know oh, wow. but in the comic books that's how it works so Ooh, exciting. Look at that. You are a little marvel know-it-all nerd. You went to the marvel wiki page. Yeah. Yeah, I had to I had to figure out like what order were these movies in? What which yeah. one of these am I supposed to watch? Uh, but that's enough Marvel. Uh, I, I'm, done. I'm done talking about yeah. this. Well, the good news is the next movie is not till like March, right? So yeah, till the I guess Captain Marvel or whatever. Yeah. Although although Venom is coming out, oh, I yeah, think at the end of right. summer, and that's a Marvel movie, even though it's not right. uh, MCU. And Topher Grace will forever be Venom uh, in my <laughs> books. So <laughs> I just don't get the appeal of Venom. It just does not seem interesting to me to have this like black lava that can create any shape it's want it wants out of you. I don't know. I like it when there's some sort of like pseudoscientific explanation for something or something logically makes sense. But like the Venom character itself just drives me nuts. I don't get how it works. Like what is the science behind this black goo? That's what we're worried about is the science behind <laughs> this. Well, That's what maybe let's about. go back and rewatch the last yeah. 20 movies, shall we? Shall we try to nail some of that science? Then? Yeah. <laughs> but moving on. Is there something that you have loved or hated this week that you want to talk about? Yeah, I have. So last week I talked about something I loved and this week I was trying to remain positive, but I watched the Netflix original, The Kissing Booth. Have you heard of this, seen it? I have heard vaguely about it, but I know nothing about what it's about. So everyone's freaking out about it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is such a good this is such a good rom-com like way to bring back the teen comedy and i'm a lover of teen comedies like i you've seen my top 100 list like it's amazingly comprises of like all the amanda Bynes, hillary duff movies um the kissing booth was possibly one of the most problematic and (laughs) insane movies i've ever seen it was just the worst and the creepiest and just the sexist and the craziest movie that i've seen come out in 2018 like it's like why are they doing this now i don't know but it, it basically is about a girl who falls in love with her best friend who's a boy's older brother so this they have this best friendship where their rule is that you can't date and the little brother gets so pissed not because he's in love with her but because he's jealous his brother gets everything and like she was one thing that he couldn't have and then he took her anyways and it was just like ew they were just like talking about her like a thing and the older brother was all possessive and like crazy verbally abusive and it was just the worst most toxic thing and i tell everyone who thinks of watching it to just turn around now because you can't unsee it and it's just horrendous wow so such vitriol (laughs) a lot of strong feelings 
Just don't watch it. Don't support it. Be better than the kissing booth, okay? You know what, Shelby? It was at the top of my list of things to watch. (laughs) But because of you, I'm not going to watch it. This is all because of your warning, Shelby. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, you know, I I try to comply with your wishes. Yes. Thanks. What about you? Love it or hate it? I have something that I'm really enjoying and really loving. It's another podcast. I don't know if it's a faux pas to talk about a probably better podcast than ours on our podcast. It might deter people from listening, but we're like an hour and a half in. So if you're still around at this point and now decide to jump ship, like you've earned it. Yeah. (laughs) I... I think you know this. I'm a huge Oscar buff. I love the Oscars and talking about them and who's going to win and who is going to lose and why and the Oscar campaigning. It's very interesting. And there's this podcast that just came out called This Has Oscar Buzz, where two or this had Oscar Buzz, where two entertainment writers, Joe Reed and Chris File, each week talk about a different movie from the past that at one point had a lot of Oscar buzz, but then somehow or another like tanked in the Oscars for various reasons. So yeah. So tanked, does it mean like, does it mean like never got a nomination or didn't win? Like never got a nomination. So there's only three episodes out right now, but like the first episode was about Mona Lisa smile. I don't know if you've ever (laughs) saw that movie. Yeah, I saw it. And, you know, it has Julia Roberts in it. It has Julia Stiles in it. Kirsten Dunst. A bunch of people who at that time in their careers looked like they could win an Oscar. It's this, it's a period drama, which people... Uh, you know, think of as being really Oscar Beatty and how this movie was just set up so perfectly to be an, a contender for the Oscar, but then just because it's such a bad movie that it did not <laughs> get anywhere near the Oscars. And so they kind of do an autopsy on these different movies and say, like, oh, it was set up, it had all of the right pieces, and yet it just crashed and burned. This most recent episode was on <laughs> Pay It Forward. Uh, the movie that has Haley Joel Osment and Helen Hunt and Kevin Spacey in it. Ugh, Kevin Spacey. Uh, <laughs> but they were saying how this came right after Kevin Spacey's Oscar, uh, I think, win, maybe nomination, mm-hmm. and that Haley Joel Osment had just been in The Sixth Sense the year before and how this was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a such an Oscar vehicle for all these people. It's going to scoop up all of these awards. And then the movie comes out and it's like, Ugh, it's just like this saccharine, <laughs> overindulgent, sappy film. Yeah. None of the acting is really good. The writing <laughs> is really bad. And it got horrible reviews. But going into it and going into that Oscar season, everybody, you know, coming into that fall thought, oh, this is a film to watch. And then it crashed and burned so i don't well, know i just tell find me when they very do, tell me when they do an episode on the lego movie because i'm still and forever upset about that oscar snob and i don't think they can ever explain away why that didn't happen for that movie yeah i am also very fascinated about that i feel like that they will not cover that in this <laughs> podcast because that was a movie that should have been nominated right. but, and these I are movies it. that are like <laughs> i i'm trying to think of what the equivalent in like last year's Oscar race would have been. I can't I know. I feel like I remember something, but I can't I can't remember the movie. Like I feel like there was something that everyone was like, wow, this is gonna be so good. And then no one talked about it after it came out. 
Well, I mean, you and I last year and for the last couple of years, I think, have tried to go see all of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And when you do get into the fall, you kind of are like, you don't know what's going to be nominated. So you go see things that you think yeah. are going to be nominated. And then it gets to the time when the nominations come out. And you're like, oh, why did I go see Loving? It wasn't nominated for anything. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, this is going to win everything. So I better go see yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just have to wait till January and then just see seven movies in one week like we did. So (laughs) I guess that's the other way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) No, but that's that's a good podcast idea. Maybe I'll email them a few ideas about what movies they should cover as they come to me. Let them know. And and yeah, (laughs) uh, but actually, we don't want them to do well because they're probably a rival podcast. Oh, right. They're competing. Yeah, you're right. 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 Yeah. Well, listen to them. They they say the word like yeah. a lot and it's very frustrating, <laughs> which we don't do. Yeah, just keep listening to us. We never say like. <laughs> we never have awkward pauses. It's great. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's everything for this week. I don't have anything else. I on know. My I'm sheet. proud of you. I'm. I know. I'm glad you made it through this. I know you weren't looking forward to it, but I think ultimately people will look back at this and be like, "Wow, he really did such a brave thing." You oh know? yeah. Oh for sure. I'm going to be people's yeah. heroes for years to come yeah. after seeing both Ant-Man movies in one week. <laughs> so what do we have coming up? What's episode three going to be about? I think we're going to transition to some TV and talk about the hot new thing, which is um, Sharp Objects on HBO. Yes. I, spoiler alert. Which is exciting for us. Yeah. I know. It's TV. It's not a movie. I have actually already seen it because I was invited to the New York premiere. <laughs> I'm very fancy like that. And you'll get to hear all about it next week. Yes! It'll be good. I'm excited. I have to watch it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, yes. guys. And we'll, we'll be back with another episode shortly. So, bye. Bye.